Yeah, pe- people will, like come up to me in their. Tr- well, I say people will. This happened once, right? Where someone rev <laughs> come up to me in their truck, just because I was riding a bike. I didn't have any other insignia, and I didn't ha- have any flare on, you know. And they just came up to me because I was on a bike <laughs> and leaned out the window and said, "Ted Cruz, bitch!" And then like revved up and went away. <laughs> That's the world we're living in down here. Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. And we have a uh, special guest with us today. Um, Franklin Bynum. Am I pronouncing that correct? Yep. Because oh, he's God. terrible. He's terrible at pronouncing things. This is the, the truth. Yeah, this this um, I'm going to pay for that later, no doubt. Uh, but yeah, welcome, welcome, Frank. Uh, your your lordship or your honor, however you pronounce it. <laughs> whatever. You... Should we call you your yeah. honor? Is this what we should do? No, no, none of that. <laughs> in fact, I I sighed. I sighed walking in the courthouse for the first time after the election. It took me a week to get there, and I took a deep <laughs> sigh. And I was like, everyone's gonna call me judge, you know? Yeah. Does and it annoy sure you enough, when they're like, "Your Honor, may I approach the bench?" You know, with all the different formalities. Do they? Does it bother you? They they haven't done it yet, but I'll get oh, to okay. like set the tone. You know, like I haven't been on the bench formally yet, right? I don't get sworn in until January first, sure. so we yeah, have this transitional period where sense. I like, you know, that's relatively short. You know, I mean, I I told everyone at the at the election night party, I was like, I'm going to take the rest of the year off, and then my phone started ringing the next day, and I was like, <laughs> Oh well, that was stupid. That's obviously I can't do that. Yeah. Um, So uh, maybe to start with, just as a let's let's fix some background conditions here, because I think, you know, many of our listeners are probably like me and that they have vague at best notions about what the uh, Harris County legal system is like and what and, you know, sort of how it works. So maybe like you could if you could just start out, like tell, tell us a little bit about how you got into like um, law and you know what inspired you to uh, to run for uh, this position? Well, sure, Ryan, do you I guess maybe I should for... say what I want. Yeah, what I introduce did. yourself. I did, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I, I just won uh, on November sixth. I won the election for Harris County Criminal Court at Law Number Eight. It's one of the sixteen uh, here locally called the County Criminal Courts at Law, and um, what they do is they hear cases of class A, class B misdemeanors, right? So the docket for these, uh, these are offenses that are above a tra- traffic ticket below a felony. So uh, the biggest offenses that, uh, and that offense is just like a word in the legal code. And I lapse into that language from time to time. But, you know, look, right. what it is, is the, the biggest charges in the court are uh, driving while intoxicated, right? Uh what I call pain assault, right? Where like something, you know, the baseline is kind of like a slap, right? If you feel pain, that level of assault. Mm. Traffic ticket level assault is if it's like threat assault, right? The next level is kind of pain assault. But basically anything with any kind of injury is a felony, right? So it's that in between. But also a huge, huge number of driving while license invalid, driving while license Mm. suspended cases, a uh, huge number of criminal mischief cases, minor property damage, and huge, huge number of criminal trespass cases, right? And that is a catch-all that uh, super criminalizes poverty, super criminalizes mental illness, right? And so um, 
There are 16 courts that hear those level of cases. I just won to be judge of one for four years starting January 1st. Uh, I was a mental health public defender in the court that I'm running for, so I know it really well. And so I'll tell you more about how I how I got there. About 3,500 uh, people a year uh, come through the court. That's like 3,500 chances to like kind of make individual decisions in individual cases. And then beyond that, judges make policy. Um, the thing that actually got me after many years of being a defense lawyer here, I've never been a prosecutor, but after many years of being a, a defense lawyer and then being a, helping start the Harris County Public Defender's Office, Houston was the largest city in the country without a public defender office until when it opened in 2011 and I joined it. Um, Good Lord. I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. So look, Maybe, maybe a, a little bit of context here uh, also, which I recently, uh, you know, learned my fiance is from from houston and so you're in harris county right and yes. harris county uh contains like pretty much the whole houston proper and yes. it's got if i'm not mistaken like four million people in it yes is that yeah and so so you know this like county judge may sound like a fairly small time <laughs> position and it probably is a, a lot, lot of people places, a lot of people a lot you're people. talking about like that's more than like 24 states if i'm not mistaken um, right. It's a big, big place. Well, that's like you bring up you, you mentioned the position of county judge, you know, and I think that it's really important to understand kind of the, the, the form of government in Texas. And I think that it really can inform our discussions about like, you know, what I hear say people say sometimes is like, you know, oh, like judges aren't political. Like, aren't you being a little political for a judge? Right. And it's like, well, there's so many ways to like slice that slice and dice that. Yeah, you've but triggered way, me. You've triggered me. I know. I know. Right. <laughs> but but the thing about that's interesting about Texas is, is that in Texas, we have about um, uh, 255 counties, 254 counties or so. Um, and the form of government in Texas actually is that the county judge is the head of the government, right? And the head of the county government. And in most of the counties in Texas, that still is the case. And the county judge, who is the administrative head of the government, also hears these small-time misdemeanors, like I described to you earlier. And, and sometimes they hear divorces, too. So, like, they hear all this – and also small civil cases, like, under a certain amount, like 100000 or under 25000 or something. I've never right. practiced in civil court. But, like – and so in Texas, people are very accustomed to the judge who's going to decide the case having political positions. And, you know, in certain places, like the courts of appeals and even bigger cities like Houston and Dallas, they have actually separated out the kind of judge-judge positions from the county-judge positions – so the county judge runs the county government while statutory county court at law judges run the actual judge courts. But the thing is, um, there's a long history in Texas of judges being political and Republicans here stock their political bench using judicial positions, right? They pay well, they have a staff. So like, you know, John Cornyn was a judge. Greg Abbott was a judge. Louis Gohmert was a judge. It's one of my favorite animated mm -hmm. gifts that uh, kept simple <laughs> on Twitter use. You know, Louis Gohmert was a judge. The letters are on fire, you know? And it's not like <laughs> Louis Gohmert was like an apolitical figure when he was a judge, right? Not at all. It's just another example of like, you know, leftist positions are seen as political positions and like centrist <laughs> to right positions. Else is neutral. Yeah, yeah right. are like, 
you know, it's like Crime Stoppers is not a neutral organization, you know, like that's right. That's I right. went and spoke to a to a uh, to free the weed Texas last Thursday. People were like, can you do that? And it's like, sure, I can. You know, <laughs> I can course. say, look, yeah. I pre, you know, I came to thank you for your support uh, to get me elected. Um, I came to tell you that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm here to speak about improving the justice system as as you know, as the rules allow. And, uh, you know, it would improve the justice system to free the weed in Texas, you know? Totally. Absolutely. And even my Republican predecessor, uh, like, went to normal meetings and no one said anything, right? Because, you know, but when I go and do something, I'm sure it'll be a (laughs) huge scandal. Franklin, I think the thing, one of the many things we have to disabuse the, the public writ large of is the notion that there's such a thing as apolitical. Yeah, uh, because be, right, like so, so ju- you know, Justice Roberts, the Supreme Court. I just call balls and strikes. I'm an umpire. Right. So, so like that, that itself is a political position. That the idea that there can be such a thing as a neutral uh, adjudicator is itself a theoretical position. You can't fucking escape yeah. having some type of interpretive scheme and having some type of political approach. I mean. The, the root of politics, right, polis, is, like, of or concerning the city, right? So, like, you have a way in which that you engage with and deal with the things relating to the city. And there's always and everywhere an approach that someone takes. And if they're positing themselves as being neutral, that is a conceit and something that they're trying to get away with. But it's also an approach. Totally. Yeah, there's such a thing as fairness, but there's no such thing as, like, political objectivity. Absolutely. Um, My friend, Sorsha Landau, Sarah Landau, um, actually won Court of Appeals. Harder race to win because it, car- it carried a lot of the suburban counties. Ca- it covers a district or that carries the suburban counties around. And the suburban counties nice. also went dim, not just Harris County, but the uh, wow. massively immigrant and heretofore very conservative um, uh, booming suburb to the southwest called Fort Bend County. Uh, went Democrat hugely, right? Huge flip. Um, so she won Court of Appeals, and she used to work for Paul Wellstone. And I, uh, I really enjoy this thing that Paul Wellstone said that I always butcher, but it's something like politics is like, you know, making it, politics is like decisions about people's lives. You know, politics right. is like figuring right. out how we live. Politics is everything. How we live. How do we live together? That's it. That's what it is. That's yep. right. That's right. And the thing about the umpire metaphor that's like so ridiculous, too, is that like or or maybe maybe we just need to add some depth to John Roberts metaphor where he doesn't see it. Right. You know, those umpires are in a labor union. Uh, Those umpires, (laughs) um, you know, have a complicated relationship with the game that they are umpiring and with their employers and with the, 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 you know, like it's not like they're, they're not robots. In fact, in a vacuum. That's right. they fight robots taking over their jobs through their union, right? <laughs> so, very, you know. very good. Very good. Yes, indeed. Now, I, you... I think part, part of the left's purpose uh, is to expose the underlying relations behind these political power moves and behind the ideologies that pretend that there's nothing underneath them. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry, Ryan. I yeah, no, that's a that's a good that's a good uh, capstone there on that on that uh, point. But I just I wanted to uh, bring us back to uh, where we started. You were you were telling us, uh, uh, Franklin, about sort of your history here. You know your your experience and and what inspired you to run for this uh, position. 
Yeah, I grew up in Houston and, uh, you know, growing up here, I grew up in a, a neighborhood called the Montrose neighborhood. And the, the Montrose neighborhood, it was when I was growing up there, historically, the, the neighborhood that was where if the world was unfriendly to you, uh, then this was a place you could go. So my dad was kind of an old burned out hippie, psychedelic rock producer, single dad, <laughs> you know. Nice. And, you know, all many of our neighbors were gay. It was it was most of all it was the gay neighborhood. Right. But it was also the activist neighborhood. We, we had a Pacifica radio station hosted in our neighborhood that the KKK bombed. And uh, yeah, called KPFT, you know, uh, really, uh, you know, very, very different kind of place to grow up than, than you would think, like when you say I'm from Houston. Right. And what I saw growing sure. up in Houston was um, a, de- you know, listen to on KPFT, the prison show run by Ray Hill, who, uh, you know, huge uh, local activist, um, very influential for me. He and I have a post office box at the same post office. I see him sometimes and I'm starstruck mm-hmm. still. Um <laughs> And uh, I just grew up grew up seeing, you know, the Houston police targeting my neighbors, my friends and neighbors, uh, seeing the Harris County District Attorney, you know, sending people to their deaths and then having those executions kind of live narrated on the local Pacifica station, which I listened to. And those are really formative experiences for me. And really, the thing that really set me on the road that uh, that I continued on was a death row exoneree named Clarence Brandley came to my high school class. Um, it just so happened. And it was a small thing. He came to my, like, my homeroom class. It wasn't like an assembly. And I was on the front row talking to Clarence, you know. Clarence was the janitor in a high school uh, just north of here. And uh, you should look up the Wikipedia article. I mean, the things that the Texas Rangers and other law enforcement agents said to Clarence Brandley before they framed him and tried to kill him uh, were appalling. You know, and he talked about those experiences after being exonerated. And, uh, you know, the first question went to me, uh, luckily, and I was like, yeah, should we televise executions? He was like, yeah, totally. You know, like, let's like show people the horror, you know, and uh, that really moved me. And since that time, you know, I went to the University of Texas. I, I was a, uh, worked at the Civilian Review Board in New York, Civilian Complaint Review Board. Uh, and then I went to law school and um, found my way back to my hometown to like, I was called to this work, you know, I really feel called to it. And I figured that like the worst problem, uh, you know, the worst big city kind of criminal punishment bureaucracy is in Houston. And so I came back to where I was from and uh, have been working here as a defense lawyer for 10 years. And what really moved me to run for judge was uh, this bail lawsuit that's pending here, um, which I think is a huge huge story that cuts across lots of different um areas so yeah, you know uh, well can you tell us can you tell us about i have a, i had a diff- another question but can you tell us about that i wrote a big piece about um about three years ago about uh bail and the and the and the use of um basically just jails in general, you know, and one, one thing I discovered reporting that was, was that at the time, I believe about 62% of people who were in jail at any one moment, uh, had not been charged with a crime. Mm. That was a pretty mind blowing, uh, uh, statistic to me. And, and, um, 
I actually talked to that guy. I don't think I don't know if he made it into the article or not, but I think I talked to the guy you mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Harris County was known as one of the more notorious places where, uh, yeah, you know, people just end end up in jail because they can't afford fifty dollar uh, bond I mean, or something that's like kind that. Of Maybe is this? So, so you have Ryan. Sixty two percent of people in jail have not been charged with the crime. Is that right? They have not been convicted of anything. Yeah, oh, so they are people who are have been arrested and processed. Or they're uh, they they haven't been um, able to post bail yet. Um, okay, because I'm fr- yeah, I'm fr- I'm familiar with the statistic about the number of plea bargains that basically are necessary because we don't have the capacity to try everyone. So there's what at least at the federal level, ninety seven percent of of people in uh, in prison. Uh, plea bargained out, and so only three percent go to trial, something like that. So if you couple that, with it's the a plea system. About, yeah, totally, it's a plea system. And you know, here in Harris County, the number hovers at around eighty to eighty-five percent of the people in the jail are only there because they can't afford to pay to get out. Here in the state, you know, the state law does not allow people uh, basically to to be preventatively detained or have no bond, right? except in very rare cases. And, you know, if you actually follow the procedure for no bond, which no court does, right? You have to have a full-blown hearing to confine someone without uh, bond, without bail here. Okay. And yeah. it's only under very narrow circumstances, which include, like, being charged with capital murder, right? If you're charged with capital murder, you still get a hearing before they can detain you without bail, uh, even even though, even given the nature of the charge. And I do capital defense work, or at least I, I used to. I'm closing up the shop mm-hmm. at the moment but right. yeah here the number is hovers around 80 85 percent of the people in the jail um are there because they only because they can't afford to pay to get out there's been a bail amount set and if they could make that amount they would be free but since they can't wow. make that amount they are not free and yeah something that you know typically the amount they have to pay is 10 percent of the bail amount to a bonding company and the bonding companies typically are backed up by the big money names that we know and recognize, right? We have a bail bond board, which if you go and look up, it says the name of the bonding company that's licensed, but then in parentheses, it says the name of the money backing it up. And so those names are like Travelers, Lloyds, all the names we know, right? Um, Of the big money names. And so at some point, they realized the money-making potential that if you just, you know, give a, a piddling amount to some local judges, they, they're already making up bail numbers, right? I mean, if you're a district court judge, you're like, uh, 35,000 bail, uh, 50,000, right? They're just making this shit up. And so, you know, yeah. if you're getting paid by the right people, then, you know, you'll make shit up in the, in the more favorable direction, uh, for the people that are financing your campaign, right? And, you know, multiply that times 0.1, and that's the revenue for Travelers and Lloyds and all these others. So that's yeah. the system we have, and that's the system that moved me to run for judge. And there we have a bail lawsuit pending, and, and that's like, you know, across the country we see all these groups um, – that are funding litigation against this system of like wealth-based detention. And the biggest lawsuit uh, is here in Harris County. And they chose to sue actually the misdemeanor judges only, not the felony judges. The felony judges will eventually have to comply, but they were like, 
they were very strategic about it. And as kind of outside groups go, you know, I mean, it's, it's very common for outside groups to come in and not understand kind of the local terrain and everything, but they've done it so well. And, and I got to like, you know, tip my hats to the, the plaintiff's lawyers in, in what's called the O'Donnell lawsuit, named after Miranda O'Donnell, the plaintiff in the lawsuit, who is a single mother who had a $5,000 bail amount that she couldn't afford. Um, and on her driving while licensed, invalid uh, conviction or, or charge, rather. And um, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Five five thousand dollar bail for driving without a license. Yeah, five thousand dollars. Right, man. I know, I know. Did, and you, did you say her name was Miranda? Miranda O'Donnell. Yeah, O'Donnell that's, that's with no apostrophe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's another Miranda. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, no, another another watershed Miranda. But yeah, $5,000. And Texas actually has the largest rate of, of driver's license suspensions in the country. And what drives that is the license surcharge system, uh, which exists in different kind of forms across the country. But just like every ticket you get, everything, you know, it just piles one on top of the other. And like people don't have it's licenses. It's a scam. It's a scam, yeah. right? And then, and then they don't have a license and they can't get a license, but that's the document you need to vote too, right? And Boom, so DPS says, yeah, that's, there it is. It's the full, the circle is complete. Yeah. The circle and of maybe it, is complete. The, uh, the, the other uh, maybe quarter, third of the equation, I was just reading an article the other day about how Houston is one of the most dangerous places to like ride your bicycle or be a pedestrian. Yes. Like the, the, the something, you know, it's like the fourth most dangerous city in terms of raw numbers of fatalities compared to population, even despite the fact that it has one of the lowest fractions of people commuting by bicycle, um, you know, because it's just the whole built infrastructure is designed around cars, you know, and just like practically speaking for most people, like if you want to live, you have to drive, you don't have a choice. And I think I would imagine that, correct me if I'm wrong, is driving, you know, probably half of those people getting busted. It's like, what am I going to do? Not drive and just shut my entire life up? You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not. Yeah, it's not, to... it's not It's not. a choice to not drive for most people, right? I mean, I, I bike to work, right? I'm, I'm going to bike to work as a judge, right? And I've had people, yeah. it's not just that the physical space is hostile to it. It's that like many of the people are hostile to it too. I mean, I've had, yeah. you know, these dudes who like install the chimney on their diesel truck to like, <laughs> you know, intercept the emissions and spit them out before they go through uh, the, the rest of the <laughs> exhaust system. You know, it's like I've had people, people roll coal on you. Yeah, pe people like come up to me in their. Well, I say people will. This happened once, right? Where someone rev <laughs> come up to me in their truck, just because I was riding a bike. I didn't have any other insignia, and I didn't ha have any flare on, you know. And they just came up to me because I was on a bike <laughs> and leaned out the window and said, "Ted Cruz, bitch!" And then like revved up and went away. <laughs> That's the world we're living in down here. Yeah, Ted Cruz, wow. bitch. You know, wow. I'm sure that guy has a poster <laughs> that, that, of like that is know. that is a sad rallying cry. I got to admit, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I, they, they probably I, have that no, poster I of him really, with a I feel sad you know, for that. Like, of him. Don't you feel a little sad for those people? Like the thing that gives them meaning that that really does it for them is a Ted Cruz rallying cry. That's I know. that's uh, that's. Look, it is very telling, though, that that like here's how you could celebrate Ted Cruz, who is actually a blobfish in a <laughs> ill-fitting rubber costume. Mm -hmm. um, 
he that that the only reason you would ever celebrate him is to to lean out the window of your rolling coal truck lifted off like eight inches at a bicyclist and just yell his name. Yeah, you know, there's no policy representation or anything like that. You know, there aren't the blobfish Americans out there saying like, oh, thanks, Ted, for like breaking yeah. barriers for us. No, it's just <laughs> owning the libs. And I by know. lib, it means someone who isn't going to die of a heart attack at age 37. Yeah. <laughs> Some schmuck on a bicycle, you know, that's me, you know, I'm just trying to get to work, you know, and it's just like, yo, come on. I mean, yeah, it's uh, so yeah, it's a tough place to bike Houston and we're trying to make it better. Uh, I went down to the jail and I realized that like the jail is actually in the middle of a really nice bike trail. We are building out nice bike trails in Houston. That's lovely. That's good. And I've it's like, that, oh, yeah. we need bike share on the bike trail, you know, and I'm See, not I was like, going to say do, do you let your prisoners uh, ride around on, on the trail or? Hey, you know what? Look, I think that people should be able to be released from the jail and like hop of on course. a bike chair and go home. Of course you know, they should. A bus card. Like, and it's yeah. not like liberalism.jpg, you know, like I actually do want to like, <laughs> you know, make conditions better now, but make clear that we're moving towards yes. a world that's better. Right. And I just have to constantly yes. tell people as we're making these intermediate efforts, that's like, Hey, Listen, I'm glad you said this that. is not the end all be all of this, right? No, no, no. That's that's really important because there's both at the same time. What do we do for people right now? And what do we have to look towards in the future? And like just because we want radical reforms or radical changes in the future doesn't mean we shouldn't help people have less misery now, right? Like those those don't have to be mutually exclusive. That's a great that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, from my perspective, like, you know, before the show or, you know, earlier, we were talking about like, you know, kind of complaints about electoral politics. Right. And it's like, yeah. well, like I'm I'm wading into like having some like actual political power. And it's like wild, you know, like cops yeah. doing what I say, like, hey, I'm in the jail. Open this door and show me what's back there. You know, that's real power. Yeah. And like, I just have to constantly, and and it's no problem for me to do it, right? I'm happy to do it. But like, I really do just have to constantly reassure people that's like, look, you know, this is all towards, you know, a different, like a a better world, right? It's not about like turning a dial here or alleviating a little bit of suffering here. You know, we're about to move into, uh, like they're moving the whole, I got this tour of the booking process and they were like, oh, listen, in two weeks, we're moving into the new facility, which is this place right off the bike trail that like they tell me they, they bragged to me. It looks just like an airport, you know, and probably it was built by the same <laughs> contractor, to be honest. Right. And yeah. same government contractor builds the jails and the airports, probably. Uh, and so, you know, and they're like, oh, this will all be different. We'll be all like in the airport. And it's like, well, you know, that's not the goal. Right. I'm not trying to make this look no, like an airport. So I'm trying to like, you know. <laughs> make this a humane thing that, you know, ideally doesn't exist, right? The most humane thing is to not cage people. But, you know, yes, that's right. Working as a defense lawyer, what I see is like a lot of problem, a lot of problems, a lot of suffering that can be addressed right now. Yeah. Um, this, uh, <clears throat> well, th- this leads into another, another question I had of um, maybe just, you know, thinking about this, this, kind of question a little bit more directly about how, you know, you you can use that power sort of concretely, you know, so like as as a 
I guess the, you know, so you have, you're sitting there as a judge, you're ruling on cases. Um, you know, I think in the, there's certain things that maybe are, are like kind of obvious to, 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 to people like, okay, I'm not just going to be like incredibly draconian about stuff and I'm going to, you know, like make the, you know, make the uh, prosecutors and the police like prove things and I'm not going to stack ridiculous bills and so forth. But like, do you also see, you know, kind of dealing with, for lack of a better word, like, like real criminals, you know, and like how you sort of navigate that space, like people who have may, may have committed like very serious crimes and, you know, I don't know, just your, your thoughts on that ruling, that- you know, using that power. Yeah, I mean, there are two ways, there are two main ways to use the power, you know, like one, like you say, is like individual decisions, individual cases. And like, certainly, like, I know what those look like. And there are some, there are some real challenges, right, that actually cut against some other problems that the left is concerned about, like patriarchy and male anger and all of these things, you know, Um, probably the most problematic kind of case that falls into my court is... um, uh, would be domestic violence cases, right? I mean, those are like you, you, people just mired in conflict, right? And how can I help them, right? I mean, how can I, how can I, you know, follow the law? With, how do I, better than saying follow the law, how, how can I say, uh, how can I work within the constraints I'm given? Do justice, right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, and like help do right for the person in front of me and do right for the community, you know? And, you know, I see, I see, you know, certainly one of the tools that the law gives is like putting someone in a cage, right? But I, I, you know, in 10 years of this, like I see really limited utility to that. And, you know, the law allows me to uh, have feel the feelings I have about that. Um, the thing is, and then there's, there's another, which is a policy level, right? Which is what programs are out there? What are, you know, what, what's, what is kind of the infrastructure out there? Uh, to and what are the policies and what are the normal practices and how do we influence them? Because ultimately, you know, judges control the booking process. Judges ultimately oversee the police, right? I mean, if you look at the system as it ideally works, right? And I make the point constantly that, you know, although the system is not fulfilling its promise of the presumption of innocence that it says, right? This is not a campaign about fulfilling the un- the unmet promises of the system, right? The promises are unmet, and what we do actually will meet the promises, but also it's, it's, it's beyond that. And so how do I address these difficult cases? You know, um, it's, it's going to be one thing that I would like to do is take a look at uh, some of the programs that we have, you know, like, you know, where are we sending people and what is it teaching them? You know, like, is this like, is this like there's this program it's it's so interesting right there was this movement in the early 90s um that was headed up by uh this guy uh bancroft lundy bancroft or something there's this whole movement of and it actually ties into kind of the hillary clinton super predator kind of kind of thing which was that there are these um there are these like people there are these like predatory people in the world you know, and um, all these states in response to this, um, I think I think 50 states now like have implemented the kind of the the uh, results of this early 90s kind of clinical social worker driven movement 
which was to do these what are called batterers intervention programs, right? Here locally, they're called BIP, B-I-P-P. Um, in California, those the program is mandatory for everyone, whether you're on probation or if you're released from jail, right? You have to take it. And they're all modeled kind of off the same thing. And, you know, like, I think that uh, the models that are used in those programs are probably pretty outdated, you know, that we're just sending people off to, you know, like, like it's all so broken. And there are real problems yeah. to be addressed, right? And so how do we create uh, a system that works better for the people mired in the system? And ideally, like, I think that, that like, you know, if a man, like, wants to, like, address, like, the difficulty of, like, you know, it's like, what what is, we live in the most difficult times imaginable, you know? It's 2018. It's the end of 2018, you know? Like, what do you do, like... Short of being arrested, does like do, does the does the government or does anyone in nonprofit or anything provide like a really kind of like good supportive place for you to go to address like hey I get angry when like I feel like when I feel bad you know that's like that ultimately is what lands a lot of people in my court you know and yeah. like you know how do we address that in a way that that's constructive that that's gonna like help people live better, more fulfilling lives moving forward? That's really the question for me. Yeah, that, that's so interesting because to me that just gets at what is the role of a judge in combating the ills of capitalism, right? Like in what ways can a judge ameliorate or undermine the kind of subject formation that creates these traumatized uh, people who behave in these ways that are problematic and cause harm, but yet can't be solved, right, through more punishment and violence. So, like, what, how can a judge, like, how can a democratic socialist uh, work against the very structures that are serving to create and, um, and, and perpetuate the violence um, you know, that shows up at, at, at your, uh, in your courtroom or, or will show up in your courtroom. Uh, that's a, that's a big challenge and it's a tricky thing, but it's, it's part, I think of, of why you and Larry Krasner and others who are trying to, um, change things from within the system are, are super important, but it's also a very, um, challenging question, right? Like how to do that. Don't want to get sucked in. Right. I mean, like, good intentions like are only going to take us so far right it, it's really going to take a lot of work to to get it right and you know i'm really aware that like you know it's um aside from other examples uh like you know krasner krasner has a kind of a different project you know but you're so right to identify that we're kind of part in the same we're in the same kind of cluster of people across the country that are kind of using the master's tools and going into the master's house. Right. And, you know, it's a demolition job, but you know, you, you can't finish the job with those tools, you know, to like really butcher Audrey Lord, you know, but you can do a lot, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you can do a lot yeah. with those tools. And I think that, that as long as I, you know, remember like what, what the point is and cause already people will tell me, Oh, like, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. And as long as I just like keep a healthy sense of sure I can, right. Then yeah. like, we'll, we'll stay the course. Right. I mean, I, I think that it's a really difficult problem and like really, you know, you're talking about police arresting people. Um, I was a mental health public defender. Right. And so, 
very many people are brought before me just because they're not getting the health care they need. They're not getting the housing they need. I would say, you know, ballpark, you know, just back of the napkin, whatever, like half the cases at least are just like I can draw a straight direct line to this person's and this person is in this court because they don't have housing or they don't have health care. And that's half the people, yeah. let's say, or more, you know, I mean, let's let's wow. round it. So, you know, and so it's like, well, can I and I, I ran into this when I was a mental health public defender. Um, it's just like, well, can we get this person uh, housing? Uh, probably not. Right. We can try. There's this thing. There's this farcical thing called the help card, the Harris County help card. Right. Hmm. That they're like, if you need housing or health care, here's the help card. Hmm. The help hmm. card has like 100 phone numbers on it. Right. And let me tell you that my clients can't call 100 phone numbers and neither can I. And every phone number, you know, it's not like they pick up and they're like, hi, nice, you know, (laughs) they're, you know, it's every number is some labyrinthine, insane process. And so, you know, we have, I have really limited tools as a defense lawyer, right? I'll have more tools as a judge, but ultimately it comes down to that the resources out in the world just aren't, aren't what they need to be. And so how can I, as a judge, make that happen? You know, create those resources, right? How can I, you know, right now we have resources directed towards punishing people. How can I, as part of this punishment bureaucracy, you know, terrible as it is to be a part of, how can I redirect those resources to actually providing, you know, providing for people instead of like caging them, right? I mean, when they put them in cages, I guess they're giving them some shitty sandwich or something and that's providing for them. But like, that's no way for anyone to live. And so, and it's not a permanent solution, right? I mean, people just cycle in and, 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 it, and it's, a, it's a nightmare and it, it's like, it won't work. And so, yeah, what I said when, um, I said this speaking to a DSA chapter once and it was like, it really like, it really struck me that like, we are going to build the world as it needs to be like one person at a time in the court, you know, because it really is going to be like, what do we do with this person? You know, like putting him in a cage is like certainly an option the law gives. Right. But like making an individual decision, individual case, I can very often think that like, that's actually not the right way. And the right way might not exist. You know what, you know, the right way might be giving this person housing. Right way might be giving this person healthcare. I mean, I've personally driven clients to the the county hospital before, and like mm-hmm. had to like go up floor flew through floor until they finally get checked into the psych ward because they cannot fill out the paperwork. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. building a better world, like as a judge, is actually like a, a pretty interesting opportunity, you know, because there are resources there, and it's just a matter of redirecting them towards people in a way that's really useful to them yeah yeah and well and i think you know speaking concretely you know and if you think about someone someone who's picked up and they're put uh you know they're put in jail and the bail is set at at uh you know ten thousand dollars and so they and their their family and friends have to raise up a thousand dollars for the for the bail bondsman if that instead were to just be like you are free on your own recognizance or however it works, even if, you know, just setting aside whether or not they go to jail afterwards for they're convicted or whatever. Now you have a thousand dollars that is instead of going into the pockets of, uh, you know, 
like Deloitte or whoever is running right. these uh, these companies, it's back where the you know in the I'm sure pretty impoverished community where where it would have come from. Huge and, benefits uh, you know. to not sucking money out of the communities that can yeah. afford it the least. You know, huge huge benefits. You know, I mean, and these things will build upon each other. You know, I mean, imagine the huge amount of money. Because you're right. You talk about release on recognizance. Around here, we call it a personal bond, right? And actually, that's the way the system's supposed to work, right? You're supposed to get a personal bond. And so we brought up the bail lawsuit earlier, right? The bail lawsuit basically was a federal judge locally recognizing that, hey, actually, the way this is supposed – this has kind of been captured in a way and, like, and like mutated into this, like, kind of perverse, insane system that, like, was never really contemplated by – there's like a 150 page opinion that she wrote last April. It's on, uh, you know, uh, publicly available kind of pacer tracking websites, federal court document websites um, for the O'Donnell bail case. Uh, and maybe I'll send it to y'all and you put it in the show notes or something. But like, I would love that. Yeah, it is like a scholarly sure. treatment of like the bail system in the United States from the beginning. And it's like, oh, just like so many, so much of the other like terrible shit that's happening right now. It's like, oh, this is only 30 years old, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's not, it's more than that. I mean, I'm way oversimplifying, but like the worst practices right. actually only, only like really came on recently. And, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, it's only been kind of perverted beyond, like beyond all, like we got an old system, you know, and there are lots of enterprising people that like take kind of parts of our old system of government and yeah. like use it for their own benefits. And so this is really a process of like, you know, beating those people back and out of the system you know the bonding companies and the insurance companies and all these kind of rent seekers um you know people Amen. yeah i mean it's like it's so fucked up yeah no that's i'm i'm so glad that you're pointing that out it's true it's uh it's through the system and this is the corollary to why your it's your victory is such a great one um the evil that's done by the powers that be and the powers that benefit from it uh, the evil is done through the system, right? There, there are those corrupt, for example, like in Pennsylvania, the, the corrupt judges who were imprisoned because they literally um, made money off of sending people to the private prison companies that uh, give them a kickback, right? So they, they were imprisoned for that. So there is the, the blatant like, law-breaking corruption. But, but most of the evil is done through the system by like messing with the law and figuring out ways in which to profit uh, corporations and people through fucking with the system. So the way that you can properly respond to that is literally grabbing the power in the system and not letting that happen, right? And fighting against it through the system. So it's it's very, very important. And interestingly, you know, I would say that like, <clears throat> you know, it's taking local power, but also think about you know, we have the biggest bail lawsuit in the country pending here in Harris County. And the, the, the existing Republican judges, right, all the reason why they sued the county court judges and not the district court judges, the district court felony judges there, those benches are split across midterm and presidential years. And so you have Democrats washing in sometimes, but it's mostly Republicans. But over time, more Democrats. And now we have all Democrat judges starting January 1st, but for the which is unre unreal. But the county, the misdemeanor judges were all kind of ensconced in the midterms, all 15 of them. And so it never changed. And it was always Republicans. And so the worst fucking bulliest, 
fucking terrible practices. I'm sorry. I, I, I said the F word once and now I'm, you know, I'm no, all no, no. I, I, I long ago started cussing on this podcast. So <laughs> yeah. That, that, I mean, that, uh, these that door has been me, opened. Get me cursing, you know, when I start talking about these people, you know, these judges, uh, yeah, but yeah, but so their strategy in the lawsuit was they, they didn't want the County attorney. I, these are people who I've seen basically tell people almost to sell the shirt off their backs to pay for a $50 a setting lawyer because they won't appoint, appoint them a lawyer. But they would not take the county lawyer, the county attorney, to defend them. When they got sued, they went off and hired a private law firm, White Shoe, Washington, D.C. The bill is over $10 million now of public money that they've spent on this to defend basically their ability, to, their discretion, right? And this cuts – discretion is the core of all this, right? It, it's, you know, officer discretion, you know, judge's discretion. Uh, you know, they want their discretion. And so uh, – to lock up poor people. So it's, it's terrible. So the bail lawsuit here, you know, part of what inspired me to run for judge was that we need to take control of this bail lawsuit and settle it here because their strategy actually was to dig in, fight, and escalate it through the federal appellate courts because those are friendlier venues for reactionaries, right? You go up to the, court of, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans and then up to the Supreme Court now, Right. And they know that if this case goes to the Supreme Court, that they have a favorable yeah. audience. And so it's so interesting, my race, in that I'm, it's a race for judicial power that is explicitly skeptical of judicial power, right? That's like, hey, mm -hmm. like the way to do this, like, you know, big, big time civil rights lawsuits are actually super useful to disrupt a system. And we have a disrupted system that is permanently like never going to go back to the way it was because of this local federal court. But, you know, I see the folly of escalating it through the federal appellate system and then having, you know, oh, like for decades, what we're fighting is we must preserve O'Donnell, yeah. you know, oh, my God, right, like, right. oh when really we probably wouldn't even get it to start with to say to preserve it, right? We get poured out yeah. by whoever. And so, you know, an, argu an explicit argument I made was just like, let's not have this case go to the Supreme Court. Let's decide locally what is, what is right for us here and uh, not let, you know, Neil Gorsuch and all these others decide. Um, so, you know, judicial power is a complicated thing. Yeah. Um, Maybe switching gears a little bit, you know, you mentioned that uh, the the Harris County Democratic slate. I don't know how many how many prosecutors is that all sixteen of them. Um, Fifteen of sixteen uh, county criminal courts. There was the sixteenth that fell in a presidential year just by quirk of timing and the legislature and population growth. But yeah, fifteen right. Republicans for a couple decades. Okay, yeah. So, so those are now all Democrats, right? If I'm not yes. mistaken, and also um, all the ones in in Dallas County, I believe, too, also went Democrat. Um, if I if I I'm think so, not I mistaken. think all the big I think all the big cities did. Yeah, it was just a total wipeout for the like or near total for the for Republicans at the um, you know for these local judicial races and. Um, my question is, how much do you think that had to do with, you know, local organizing, uh, Trump, 
and maybe uh, Beto or Beto, however you pr- pronounce that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I use them both. Uh, I use whatever you know, whatever comes out of my mouth. Uh, however, you say his name, you know, that, I mean, whatever works. P- potato, potato, potato. You know, that's right. Yeah, Beto, Beto. You know, I think that you know yeah. Beto had a huge had a huge part in it. I mean, and and Beto, like, you know, he was like, I I'm grateful for everything he did. First of all, you know, before before I like this, this is like the person saying I love the guy, but, you know, I really am. You know, he raised a bunch of he's money, a good politician, got a bunch of enthusiasm. Yeah, he's a good politician, you know, and I went to an early town hall of his and like he got into like we asked a Medicare for all question and he answered it with some depth and some understanding of the issues and with and really like unequivocally supporting it. Right. And actually, I didn't keep really? track of. I didn't keep track of his stances over time, you know, like I don't really know. Right. But but like, yeah, we we got into the weeds policy wise and I walked out and I was like, OK, like, that's good. Like I he gave the right answer to that. He, he gave it. He gave a yeah. a right answer to that. Right. Not the sure, perfect sure, answer. Yeah. And so like he wasn't wasn't all bad, you know, and, and he he was so much kind of like an Obama clone or trying to be, you know, and, and, and the, yep. the parallels are more than just his language and his policy stances and his marketing mm-hmm. and his actual team, you know, but it was also his kind of like um, arm's length relationship with the state Democratic Party, which really kind of mirrors my mm-hmm. arm's length relationship with the county Democratic Party. Right. With, like, with, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, sure. and so I, I, I like. I respect what he did. I mean, I don't even think like he raised a bunch of money. He got a bunch of people out to vote. Right. And I think that without that, I don't know that we would have won. It certainly would have been closer. You know, if you look at, yeah, if you look at the, the turnout in midterms, right. The trend was that it was going to turn dim probably this year by a hair, but instead it turned by like way more than a hair. What was the margin by the way? I'd say like roughly 55, 45. Right. So we went from nice. roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Like we we like we went from just about eking it out to just like blowing them out. Really. That's um, awesome. Yeah. 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 And Beto has a huge, huge part to play with that. But it's not just him. Right. I mean, it's not yeah. just him that got people right. out to the polls. Right. Well, and, and his success is emblematic of, of like the support that's there for somebody who's changing in the right direction. Right. So it's not like he caused the movement, but he was popular in part because of the people waiting for some kind of message that aligns with the left. Right. Totally. And like, what, what would it have been if he actually like kind of full throated came out and, you know, of course we, of course we can say this. Right. But I think that like, maybe he actually will learn this lesson and come back and try to beat John Cornyn in a presidential year. Right. Like, if he has to learn any lesson from this, it probably, it's, I can't see that it's moved to the center. I think that it's dig yeah. in, fight more, concede less. How can anyone come away yes. from this and learn anything other than than that, right? And so he helped a lot. I think that he probably learned a lot. Just just me personally campaigning and seeing him as he go, as, as he went, you know, like, you know, he, it's really hard campaigning, it turns out, you know, and, and I, I always like... Mm. Like building an organ, like building an organization and managing the whole thing, it actually is really difficult. And I look at people doing statewide races after I did a countywide race, and I'm like, oh, that is like that's such a huge task. It's even it's even bigger 
I mean, this state is massive, is so big, first of all, you know, and then so, but to, to narrow down and to answer the question, I'm sorry to, to, there's so much to say about it. Beto was, was a blessing, you know, because who else do we have at the top of the ticket? We have Guadalupe uh, Valdez, you know, the sheriff <laughs> yeah. in Dallas, you know, and which is kind of like lost the, the old, gun. yeah, right. She lost her gun. And, and like, Whoops. you know, it's the tried and true dim strategy. You know, we have a Democratic DA here named Kim Og, who, you know, loves to sit on Atlantic panels and talk about how woke she is. Right. She's on the cover of Outsmart magazine, you know, America's top gay cop. Right. And, and our local DA, you know, she is she is the the embodiment of like a cop car with a rainbow flag, you know, and that's what she is. And like, that's what Lupe yeah. Valdez was. And it's like people don't want that shit. You know, people want actual yeah. change, right? People want like the cop car That's rolling right. through your That's neighborhood, right. like messing with your community, locking up your family. Like people don't care if it has a rainbow on it or not, right? People want That's right. Exactly. People want people not to be in cages. Uh, and so, you know that, that that's it's so important that you say that because one of the things I've been trying to communicate, I, I you know I'm a college professor and my God I I won't feel successful if my students don't don't know the difference between liberalism and the left and, and every class I teach I find over and over again this penchant for saying well shit, at least if the oppressors are like gay and women and people of color, then we can oppress the shit out of everyone. And then, then like, yeah. that's their progress. Their will be informed yeah. by their, by their yeah. background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they'll have their, their intersectional oppression uh, operating. Oof. And I'm like, motherfucker, don't you understand? <laughs> it's yeah. so, listen, it's so listen, upsetting. Alexi, if, if I'm going to be shot, I want to be shot by a rainbow bullet with a you know sponsored by Microsoft Surface Pro on the side of it. I want. I want. I a, swear to God, free-range dog. You know, if the police dog is gonna I, maul me, it needs to be a free-range. Oh my God, police dog. That's right. Like Bull, Bull Connor, a Bull Connor, but with a with a well-fed, well-trained. You know. Yeah. yeah. R- Ryan knows. Ryan and I were in your lovely state of Texas together uh, not that long ago. For reasons we won't discuss, we were in Austin, Texas, and we we fell upon a wonderful pride parade, but it was sponsored oh, by Google right. and every fucking corporation you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And and we were like, we had the show. I, you know, Ryan, you're you're responsible for mispronouncing things. How do you do the German word Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude? You know the word? Schadenfreude. 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 Because Jeff, we're like, oh, Jeff. great, a, a parade that's really popular and, and it's gay pride. But then we saw the corporate sponsorship and we were disgusted and felt nauseated. It, it was it was only corporate sponsorship from what no, I no, remember. That's it. I mean, that we didn't the see thing, the entire yeah. parade, but it, it was literally just one corporate float after the next. Yeah, and it pr- was like... Pride is canceled. Yes. I mean, like corporate pride, you know, like most pride has been yeah. captured, you know, like and the people who really want to celebrate pride, like, you know, are in the know and go somewhere else, you know, the, the people who actually made all that happen are partying somewhere else. Totally. Oh, God, I hope so. But but what's so frustrating is it's hard to communicate to other people why that's not good. Like that was for me. I was just I was trying to process. Like most people just see this and think, "Awesome, isn't this great?" And, and it's just so frustrating to try to un, like communicate to others why that's reaffirming the power structures. You know. Well, I, I would say I would say in one sense it is good because it, it reflects the right. fact that sure. gay rights have become absolutely unquestioned Mainstream. for that's the right. most part. Yeah. 
But I think it also reflects the fact that like that this, you know, that like gay rights has has has, be, has be, become somewhat appropriated and the idea of pride from being this sort of transgressive like if it's being sponsored by like more than like two digit numbers of fortune 500 companies mm-hmm. like the transgressive and revolutionary potential is pretty much by definition impossible totally you know? and so you, you know I, it's I just, it becomes just another branding thing one interesting aspect to my race that i think will become like some kind of footnote uh, but I think is really interesting in the moment is that, <clears throat> you know, I I didn't have a primary opponent, and I kind of maneuvered into that because the incumbent is this 16-year kind of so-called moderate Republican who I know, who I have a relationship with, whose name is Jake Carahan. Um, you know, uh, has been very good to me through the transition and everything else. Um, and truly like, you know, he directed a verdict for me before, like he, he found one of my clients when I was a mental health public defender, not guilty in the middle of trial because like Mm. he had been arrested totally wrongfully, but it took like, you know, eight months to, to drag while he was in custody into a trial. You know, I mean, it was the circumstances under which it happened are uh, absolutely unacceptable, but he did do the right thing in the end, you know? Yeah. Um, Mm. but so he actually, um, when the Obergfell decision came out, and um, when I introduced myself, I said I was from Montrose, the Montrose neighborhood of Houston. The Lawrence versus Texas decision was organized by uh, gay people in Montrose, sitting around gay bars that they, you know. No kidding. To, yeah. They, That's awesome. They, they That's were awesome. closeted county employees who saw a weird arrest for sodomy come through, and they were like, look at this fucked up shit, and just talking amongst themselves. And the talk in the neighborhood finally got to a Lambda organizer who was like, oh, we've been looking for a case like this, you know, like we've been looking to challenge this law. And eventually, like, that's how Lawrence versus Texas happened. We set the stage for Obergfell and for, you know, liberation of, of, of gay people and all of us to really do what we want as consenting right. adults in our own bedrooms. Right. Um, yeah. Which took over 200 years to get. And uh, among <laughs> other things, right, oh. that we that we have gotten and still haven't gotten. Right. But. Yep. Um. You know, that was organized just sitting around gay bars in Montrose. And I'm so proud of that that happened from the neighborhood I was from. And God yeah. bless him. My um, there's a great book uh, written about it, about the history of Lawrence versus Texas decision. Actually, um, the two men that that the sheriff like busted the door down and came in and arrested for sodomy right. totally deny being yeah. gay or having gay sex. Right. They're these wow. icons of the of the movement. Right. But they actually <laughs> were like, you know, no, we never actually did. Um, but wow. so that's the thing is that like sodomy laws actually let the cops fuck with you, whether you're gay or not. Right. Just by being like, that's Oh true. yeah. You know, what are you? Some kind this, of gay? Another, pretext. another, another, another pretext to fucking like arrest people for anything they want. Yeah, absolutely. This, absolutely. uh, that maybe we should clarify for people who don't know Lawrence versus Texas. What this was 2003 decision, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds right. yep. yeah. Yeah. That was the decision and it, that first and, said, yeah. It overturned an anti-sodomy law, which, you know, which was dating in back Texas. like decades and decades and maybe centuries, you know, which basically criminalized homosexual sex. Um, and there were very similar ticket. laws. And It was a traffic ticket yeah. level offense. It's really funny. 
<laughs> Here's a ticket. What, yeah. Was it over? And it overturned. Was it Bowers v. Georgia? It overturned. Is uh, that right? Yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot. You know, I want to say it's Hardwick. Bowers v. Hardwick or something. Hardwick. Hardwick. Bowers v. Yeah, Hardwick. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I Bowers v. Bad Hardwick, at yeah. the, but but yes, it, it overturned an old an old case where the Supreme Court once again. I mean, everyone complains about the Supreme Court now as if it's always been good and now suddenly it's bad. Hey, it turns out it's always <laughs> been bad. You know. They've That's always right. been yeah. last to the party. They've always been yeah. the ones to, you know, realize la- realize last and do the least. Yes. And so, like, well, they've never been. Yeah, our that's right. And no, so, and, and an important point is that the, the Supreme Court only makes the right decision under tremendous democratic political pressure. That's usually. right. Yeah, they're not apolitical. It turns out judges aren't apolitical. That's right. Right. From the local level where I am all the way up to, you know, the insane reactionary, you know, people that are there now. And so, yeah, Lawrence versus Texas was this case um, that that basically said that the state can't criminalize gay sex. And then the follow on to that was the Obergefell case. Right. Which said that gay marriage actually um, is permitted. And I was actually in San Francisco for my birthday uh, visiting my best friend uh, when that decision came out. And just like wow. poured out into the streets with everybody and just like was it was amazing, but also <laughs> was rather anticlimactic because the battle had already been won. Right. I mean, Obergefell yeah. was like yeah. was I mean, we were all thrilled, but also like, of course, Obergefell was going to happen, you know, um, yeah. in any. Yeah. And so th- it all gets back to the incumbent. Right. The incumbent in my race was a Republican who, after Obergefell, the local powers that be came around and said, hey, we expect you not to do gay marriages, notwithstanding this. And they all, you know, everyone kind of wink, nudge, followed in the line. But he was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Right. To his credit. Like, you know, I'm glad yeah. he did that to them. But from that moment on, he was marked. And so he, um, 16 year incumbent, drew a primary opponent a guy who wasn't even statutorily qualified for the office um, at the time he filed the run for it. He only later in the year would get enough time of service to be qualified, right? Total confidence man, like huckster. uh, And he won the Republican primary against a 16-year incumbent running only on an anti-gay platform. That was all he had to say was that I hate the gays more than this guy. Truly, I heard what he had to say. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. He was the anti-gay candidate. He won 70-30. <laughs> it was the hell. biggest spread. And so, you know, we talk about these things like like there's the cop car with the rainbow, right? And that is like a statement that the the corporate powers that be have kind of consolidated their viewpoint in favor of gay rights, you know? Or, or at least gay rights as they see them. And Yeah. But yet, there is still peril out there you know there is oh, yes, there yes, are still so. like people like you know dan simons right the guy who beat the incumbent right who like can win a republican primary to the tune of 70 percent straight on an anti-gay message which is crazy to me but you know we whipped him so you know he's vanquished for now yeah 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 yeah, yeah and i i think right excellent very very like like extremely deserved loss uh, yeah. for that for that for that guy toad. Sucks so bad my but name I guess, was you know, on all his signs. The, the flip side of the corporate pride thing is that you know the the the, the, the virtually palpable uh sense that if it were to come to that fact to where there were an actual you know sort of popular uh uh 
protest like there was in like 2004 when there were all those constitutional amendments yeah. uh, to ban gay marriage on the ballot. I remember this as I was a freshman in uh, in uh, Oregon. And even in Oregon, the constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage passed with like 60 percent of the I vote. I remember that. And yeah. all of us. All of us read college kids just got just sloppy drunk who just like sobbing. Oh, man. oh God, I can't even imagine but, being at read college that night. I, I, I but, can't imagine oh, either. I, I am. But, I, I'm shocked that all you did was alcohol. That sounds wrong. I'm sure. There well, were you know, we involved. were we were standing, you know, we were just watching the results and just like drinking our sorrows and we just felt even worse. But, you know, the, the sense that. If it were to come to that and there were a, you know, like the tables were to turn, all those corporate people would flee with their tails between their legs. They would not stand up for gay people. Not in the slightest. Not if it became unpopular, even, you know, in in some sort of meaningful sense. Like people started losing elections on it. Google, Starbucks, all those corporate swine. Absolutely. You can't trust them. If they ever had, if they had anything to say about it or if they had any like deeply held beliefs about it, they would be like, this would fuck up our HR systems. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, don't fuck That's with right. our HR. Right. Yeah. I don't think that will happen, you know. No, no. I think. And I maybe think you could sing like, a few. That, that's a few ex- I would hope. Like, isn't, isn't Tim Cook gay? You could maybe you could maybe see a few exceptions here and there. But, yeah, I mean, I just think it's like if you're looking for corporations to defend any sort of beleaguered minority. Like it's just not what they are designed to do. Nope. No, it, it um, truly, truly is not what they are designed to do. You're so right. Yeah. <laughs> With that, the, the expression of, of supporting of other people's rights is actually only a fun, is subordinate always to what they're actually designed to do. And we always yeah, have to remember right. that. They're a tool, you know, like we can, yes. you know, we can leverage them to point against like worse people. And we should but like, yep. but like, yeah, they're not like permanent allies. Ever. No, no. There are a bunch of tools. In fact. Yes. Yeah, that's right. They're they're tools and a tool. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um oh, I just have one let's see, one one more question I've written down here for um you know, you said you said running running for office was difficult. Um at a you know it was at like sort of like maybe a lower level, but at a lower level in a big sort of pond. Mm-hmm. Um any any advice that you would have to to people who are thinking about making the plunge? You know, it's like they're looking at, uh, you know, like my county judge or school board or whatever. There's nobody running as a Democrat. Why don't I throw my hat in the ring and like what you know? What's that like? What sort of tips would you would you uh, throw out for those folks? I would say that. <clears throat> The most important thing that I, I I would not have done this and I would not have been able to do this without my DSA chapter locally, because what my DSA chapter provided was the ability to show up to the local Democratic Party, which was totally like hostile to my message and my project and say, I'm going to do this. Right. And I'm going to give you all a fair opportunity to like get on board with this. Right. But this is what I'm doing. And I was able to say that with the confidence that dozens of people would be there to back me up for this project. And, you know, running a local political election, even a countywide election in a huge county like this, one of the largest counties in the country, uh, 
a few dozen people actually can get the job done. And we did do it mm, here, you know? Mm, and mm, so, yeah. and we'll do even better next time, right? The first time we learned a lot, but I would say like, find your base of power locally before you mm, go into mm. kind of hostile territory, right? And I did that kind of unwittingly, you know? I mean, I went to a state and local meeting of my local DSA group and it was happening at this little diner and it was a little, you know, people, maybe 15 people sitting around a table. And I didn't even really, I had been thinking about it. I'd had a really bad experience in the court recently. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I just told him, yeah, I think I'll run for judge, you know? And then everyone clapped. And I was yeah. like, oh, well, this Amen. is weird. You know, like, why That's is awesome. everyone clapping? And then it's like, oh, How like cool. my life changed, right? But I wouldn't have had that strength without those people. And yeah, so you've got to right. find that's your awesome. people and they're out there, right? They're out there, they're organizing, they're meeting. Yeah. And so that's the first thing. And the second thing is, is like, don't be compromised. Like it's a, it's a companion point, right? They're all companion points, but like, don't compromise, right? You don't have to do it yeah. the way. There's so many people that line up to tell you that you can't do it this way. You can't say this, you can't do that. And just like totally ignore those people, right? Because yeah. they don't know anything. And like people have been losing elections in Harris County for like 40 oh my years. God. I ran into some dude. I went to the Hope Conference, right? I went to a computer hacker conference in New York, right? That like if you talk to a political consultant, it's like, what do you do? Why would you go to the Hope Conference? You know, like if I were like asking, <laughs> getting permission slips to go for where I go, you know, but I don't. So I went to the Hope Conference and Sorry. I met um, I met this like political consultant and you know, I told him what I was doing and he was just like, oh, that's all bad. Oh, God. He was just like really could not contain his disgust at what I it was like. Yeah, we're actually doing outreach in front of the county jail, reaching the people that we feel like aren't being reached, who know the problem the best to tell them to tell their friends that we're on the ballot this year and that we're actually going to make a change, unlike usual Democrats. And like to please like get out and vote and give us your number. We'll text you to remind you and please do this for us. Right. And that worked so well. But I told this consultant, yeah. and he was just like, oh, that's, oh, he was just like disgusted with it. <laughs> and so I asked him like, well, what's your, like, what's your experience, you know? And he like listed off this like laundry list of, of losing democratic campaigns. But at the time I was like, <laughs> oh, I remember that name. I remember that name. I remember that name, but I don't remember them enough to rattle them off to y'all. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, what the fuck, who the fuck are you, you know, telling me what to do? There's so many people like that and just fucking tune them out and do what you want to do. Yeah. So that's the answer. You know, you know, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, Franklin. I, I just, I'm so happy to see the validation, the success that comes with the, the, like there's a beauty to what you're doing and to the fact that like, it doesn't matter which talented person shines through to take the positions of power to help reform and change these terrible structures. Um, when you realize that no one can do it alone, but like we can capitalize on the talented people and work together to do these things. Like it, it's so amazing. So we have to give a shout out to Brian, right? Brian, uh, Houston DSA. Brian Laverne right? is a, just an outstanding, outstanding underappreciated, uh, organizer. He is a visionary, truly, you know, working behind Thanks, the Brian. scenes. Brian and I went to the same first DSA meeting in November of 2016. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. Sat next to each other, 
And we're like, oh, who are you? Or who are you? You know, and then just like from there, you know, I mean, I went to my first DSA meeting in November 16, and I never thought I would run for anything. And I met Brian right. at that meeting. And Brian has counseled me and supported me through all kinds of things and is just like truly a visionary. And like there are so many people um, out there doing the work helping people, encouraging people, you know, I like got to stand up and say we won. Right. But I'm on the phone to Brian every night, you know, saying, Hey, here's what happened today. Here's what I'm thinking about today. And there are so many people. Amy Zachmeyer is another who, um, is just Mm. got hired as a Mm. national organizer for DSA. Um, was was our, our, our co-chair here in Houston. We like, you know, I have, I am so, um, blessed with uh some of those being peers with some of the most brilliant organizers that i've ever met just as soon as i showed up you know amy zachmeyer nicholas bunce uh, brian laverne you know this is all like my this project is part of a, a part of a larger movement it always has been i always make clear that it is right this is like a tool in the toolbox towards liberation right and I'm going to stick at it as long as it can make a difference and as long as it's working. But like the larger movement is always my concern. It's not the job. It's not the it's not the it's not winning elections. Definitely not. No. Yeah. And, and Brian was so excited about your success and about you even coming on the podcast. And it just demonstrated to me what you can do when you care so much about the actual change that's happening. You care so much about the good that you're doing that your joy is literally inseparable from what someone else that you like are supporting and helping and care about. They might've done the thing that brought about all this power and this change, but your joy has nothing to do with who caused it. It has to do with the overall movement towards radical change. And it's, I think some hope that we can take uh, against the terribleness, against the Trumps, against the fascists. Uh, There is hope in knowing how much joy can be taken by people like Brian in the success of people like you, Franklin, um, because of that kind of care for the cause itself without regard to who's actually like pushing forward the change. Totally. It's just if me you, because uh, I'm here, you know, I just happen to have the experience. Yeah. I just happen to be, and I just happen to step up and do this. Right. But like, we're all kind of surfing this wave of history. Right. And I just happen to be in this place with the bail lawsuit and everything else. I never thought this for myself. Um, and I, I probably won't think of the next thing or the next, Brian won't think of the next thing for him either. And same with y'all. Right. We all just step up and yeah. do what we can, the best we can when we right. can do it. And that's like the course of history. Amen, I brother. Think, um, if you've seen the movie uh, Selma, I think one of the one of my favorite aspects about it is how much it it emphasizes that the uh, you know the the historical figure of Martin Luther King Jr. was a c- collective creation. Absolutely, and how right. how he uh, you know he he was 
literally world historical talent in so many ways and yet still yes. Yes. was many times frightened and 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 felt like turning back and had to be bucked up by his you know kind of like lieutenants and so forth and people who had good ideas and the people you know just like the rank and file type of folks who are willing to just like step up and take the beating from the police or just try to register to vote and and so on and so forth and each and every one of those people was was uh you know integral yeah integral to the entire mm-hmm. process and maybe he was like the a, a very special type of like the type of crystal you drop into the super saturated solution sorry mm-hmm. c- chemistry metaphor yeah uh but <laughs> that's you know, where you read days right there yeah. he's that important major. in his way but so is every other um uh, uh atom or molecule in there to to make that psh, that crystal happen and um yeah, you know, so so that actually. So yeah, I think thank I'm, you, Franklin. Yeah, thank yeah. you You're for so, your contribution. So like, you know, <laughs> it, it is important. Like, but it's also important. We've tried, you know, on Left Anchor to not forget the importance of having talented uh, representatives and talented people that really embody the movement in in ways that are important. So, like, you know, not to kind of. Uh, belittle or diminish the role of the rank and file, as you say, but both the leadership and those that represent, right, that have the face, the name, the publicity, uh, those positions, you have such responsibility, and I'm sure it feels burdensome, right? Um, That is as important as the rank and file, and both together are what we hope to to kind of use to push forward and, and, and change uh, and, and and just fight the fucking oppression that that's that, right. uh, that is the status quo. Just doing everything we possibly can, right? I mean, it's it's a tool in the toolbox, electoral politics. And I would say that the one criticism yeah. of electoral politics that I really that really resonates with me very personally at this point is that like it's my name on the T-shirt, it's my name on the yard yeah. sign, right? When really, like, right. God, it's just like there were times like if anyone one of my favorite, you know, shows ever um, is the Larry Sanders show, you know, and sometimes I felt yeah, like Larry, yeah. you know, Larry is just clueless in the middle of everything. He's got the ideas. He's got the talent. But like everyone else is running the show. Obviously, Larry can't run the show. There's no way. Yeah. And but it's Larry's yeah. name on the credits. And that that is fundamentally unfair, right? And that way, electoral politics is fundamentally unfair. It fundamentally does not cannot recognize the work of others. And I hate that part of it. And what I can do to alleviate it is recognize people when I come on podcasts, when I get up and speak in front That's of a right. crowd, That's you right. know, and really let people know that it really just is not me. It really is not. And that like Brian himself has come and sat on the chair uh, across from me as I sit in my Astrodome chairs in my house. And has when I have broken down and cannot go any longer, and have said, "You yeah, have to, right. you know, yeah. get up and do no, it." And, and this is a fucking. It, this is a fight against the ontology of the right and of neoliberalism that says everyone's out for themselves, and everything that happens is because you, as an individual, did something on your own. This is bullshit, right? Like the totally. the left has to embrace the success that comes from a necessarily interconnected web of support and, and like that is something that we cannot let go of. Right. That's super important. Totally. I've always liked the, uh, the kind the kind of subtle implications of a, 
a parliamentary system where you don't vote for candidates. I mean, you yeah. know who's like at the top, but you you vote like Labor Party or yep. Social Democratic Party or whatever. Yep. You don't vote for you know Jeff Spross, the the God <laughs> Emperor of yeah. all creation. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> it's mu- it's much better. We, you know, I think that that's a much better system. You know, and it also would get rid of the oh, Senate. God. So you know, maybe that's the way forward eventually. <laughs> Totally, totally. We are we are considerably we're over time. Yeah, time. yeah, I know. I um, drove so much. Thank any, you so no, much that's for fine. Having no, no, no. We're We've the had ones an amazing infringing time. on your uh, your that's you right. know, judging time. Hey, no, hey, look, look. I'm taking <laughs> I'm taking as much time as I can off between now and the end of the year. So, um, you know, I have a meeting Good tomorrow. Man, right. But you know, trying to enjoy being a dad, trying to enjoy life, trying to absolutely for the first time in a little yeah. while. So. It's really, really been nice to be on. Do you no, it's, it's, uh, any any yeah. final comments before we uh, let you go? Any questions you you wish we had asked? Oh, I would just say that like I really want to you know let people know that they can watch this happening kind of in real time. I want to put it on my Instagram. I want to put it on my Twitter. So like you can find me online. You know, Franklin Bynum. We'll post He's, all that. Yeah, like. I really want to show other people how to do this, right? Along the lines of your question about electoral politics, right? How do you dig in and how do you accomplish the goals of prison abolition in your community, right? After you find this place of power, like, let's say you get elected, how do you do it? And uh, I want to show people. I want to show people uh, online. I want to show people by writing. I'm going to write some pieces about how we did it. And so just like, please, if you're interested, like, Keep up with what we're doing because we're going to be out there trying to tell people what we're doing. And, and please, you know, reach out. And uh, I'm here to counsel anybody that wants to do it themselves. Great. Amen. That's that's amazing, Franklin. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, yeah thanks and for and coming would, on. Look, I, I'm going to um, override Cooper here. Just I mean, he'll probably agree with me, but just in case he doesn't. Uh, you're welcome to come on the podcast literally any week you want. Like you could cool, just tell cool. us, you could just give us like a two day notice and say, Hey, I want to come on again. And we'll be like, okay, yeah, that's spots reserved for you. I would so love just to anytime you want. I would love to. Yeah. 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 The thing is, so, there's so much to talk about. You know what I'm saying? There's so I know. much. So this is the beginning yeah. of a conversation. Absolutely. Why not? Why not continue the conversation? Let me there's be a regular. To talk about, I want to. I want to get more into prison abolition. I want to get more into what a leftist vision of the criminal justice system should be. So many things. Let's spend an hour on algorithms in the in the criminal Amen. punishment bureaucracy. Amen. Let's just like here's an hour on <laughs> algorithms. I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about it. Let's do it. Awesome, brother. Yeah, but well, yeah, uh, sign up for the left anchor MOOC law degree. That- <laughs> Yours now for only $50,000. Yeah. All right, my friend. All right. Really so a pleasure. Nice Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, you know, yeah. Likewise. Talk to you later. Thanks for Thank having me on. Thank you so much for everything so you're doing. Welcome. Thank Enjoy you. Enjoy right your, uh, your break here. I will. Yeah, I yeah, will yeah. definitely. Nice to meet you all. All right, my friend. Thanks so much. Take okay. care. Nice to meet you. Bye. See you.